This is the Resilient and Resourced Educator Podcast, and I'm your host, Danette Adams. Today I speak with Maria, who has been teaching for almost 20 years. She's taught math, English, social sciences, from students all the way from grade 5 to grade 12. When she hasn't been in the classroom, Maria has facilitated professional learning workshops, been engaged in politics, and now she coaches educators while working on her doctoral studies on climate justice education as it connects to the mental health of young people. Join in to listen to this passionate educator who embodies the term lifelong learner. Today, I'm very happy to have Maria here on the podcast. Thank you, Maria, for being with me. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. Okay, so I would love to start by asking you if there is a memorable mentor, educator, teacher, coach, somebody in your life that has impacted you. Yeah, I mean, this this question's interesting because I feel like I've been very blessed to have a number of phenomenal teachers and mentors and coaches. So picking, uh, you know, one or two is is a challenge. But when I think about the, like, there's two who really come to mind for me um, around that transformative impact in your life. Um, and the first one was, was actually Marion Woodman, who's a Jungian analyst. Um, and was a, an English and drama teacher. And she's actually from my hometown of London, Ontario. And I got the opportunity to meet her and do work with her. And the reason why she was such a profound uh, teacher in my life, her, her books were, but also just her presence, like having had the privilege of being in her presence, is that she, for me, was the teacher who helped me connect to my own inner knowing. And that in a patriarchal society as a woman, to really honor your body, its limits, its wisdom, um, your, your heart, your feelings, and that those have value because we are so geared towards the rational. Um, and, and I'm Greek and I appreciate the rational and I'm, you know, a doctoral student and I work for the Critical Thinking Consortium. So I'm not opposed to the rational in any way, but in terms of the balance um, and for me, she was the teacher who really helped me to find that balance um, in myself and started me on that journey, like such a mirroring of knowing that I couldn't find in our culture as a whole. Um, and I did want to share about a second teacher who sort of took over and I think took me deeper in, in certain respects or sort of enhanced that knowing. And that is... Um, uh, traditional Mohawk ceremonial leader and teacher, Gahandak West Diane Longboat. And um, she actually really deepened my, my spiritual knowing um, and that spiritual core and that connection to the earth and that deep sense of interconnectedness with all of life. And again, that's a knowing and a wisdom that's not really reflected in our culture. Um, and so those two teachers have been really, really seminal in, in my life. Wow, what a gift, like so different, but so, so powerful. Do you see how they have impacted the way that you teach, the way that you educate, the way that you work in education today? Absolutely. Um, I think they have been so foundational um, in terms of helping me to be, to work to be very present to students. And I do think that that has made, I do think that's made a difference um, to be more attuned to students as whole people and also mirror those knowings in themselves. So even 
within the constraints, which I'm sure we'll get to, um, within the formal education system. I feel like they also provide, also they provided resilience for me because in moments where um, there is a lot of imbalance in our education system and that and being strengthened by them allowed me to not internalize everything that was going on as being somehow a lack on my part or something I needed to compensate for, but to really see the imbalance reflected in our system as well and more work towards bringing that way of being, you know, into my, into my work as an educator. Right. What an exceptional opportunity to be able to learn from those two teachers. That's, that's excellent. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. a true gift. Yeah. So I would like now for you to reflect on last spring. So where you were teaching, what you were doing, um, then came March and we all went remote in our area and then just, yeah, take me through that. Sure. Well, I'm currently have been on an unpaid leave from uh, the public school board where I work because I'm pursuing doctoral studies. So last year, but I was um, assigned in, in the spring to teach a course at Humber, which I have taught um, a postgraduate certificate course. Um, and it is around facilitation and curriculum design and reflexive practices as well in, um, you know, in, in international development work. So I was, so that's what I was adjusting to. And it was really a challenge because a course on facilitation, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. how do you suddenly adjust that? Yeah. Um, many things about the course that, I mean, the course used to run a full day in person. It was a very concentrated course in their summer term. So once a week for six hours. And I had to really think about the structure of the class. And it was quite interesting because I made, I made some decisions and, um, you know, although I would make different ones now that we've adjusted a bit to the pandemic, I'm glad I made the choices I did. And one of the choices I did was to actually not have the students be online for more than two hours synchronously with me. And I mean, one could look at that and say, well, it's a six hour course. And so you're, you know, you're doing two hours. I absolutely spent more than the time that I usually spent because I wanted to be responsive. I was available. I spoke to them online. I also did um, like a pre coffee hour drop-in before class and after class, like just to connect to students. And I was really concerned about their well-being. So I structured the class as much as possible to be attentive to that, knowing that for many of the students who may have had to go, you know, they might not have been in Canada and they're now suddenly having to go back um, to their home countries or they're in situations with childcare. Um, and I just thought about how everyone was not yet, you know, the, everyone was processing the pandemic, the uncertainty. And so I just decided to be gently rigorous <laughs> with students, um, particularly like with an emphasis on the gentle and allow the rigor to come through more of a reflective practice that I guided them through in the course. So I adjusted my teaching methods as well to try and contain them in this new reality that we found ourselves in. Right. That sounds like a fabulous uh, viewpoint, a place to start, because um, I remember what we were all going through and gentle is definitely the way 
we need to be with ourselves and so with the students as well. So yes, that's excellent. So what then comes September and what was, what was your plan going to be in September and then how did that turn out? Yeah. So actually I was going to return to um, teaching at my school in the public school board. So it's a grade seven, eight school. And I was, I was looking forward to it um, because I, you know, because I've actually been away from teaching for a couple of years growing. I had a lot of things I really wanted to bring to students. And also because I'm, I am concerned about student mental health and well-being. I mean, that is the focus of my doctoral work is uh, youth mental health and well-being in the context of climate change. And I see COVID-19 as actually a- another manifestation of this overarching ecological violence that that we're in. Um, and, and studies are showing that, that it really is rooted in deforestation. So I think these things are very interconnected. And I wanted to be with students um, during this time. So I was preparing myself to return and I was really waiting for the government's uh, the government's plan. And I think in my mind, although although yes, I've been disappointed by governments previously when it comes to education. Um, I do think that, despite the fact that yes, there's a lot of money that goes into education, I don't think people really recognize how fundamental it is, and that it is actually underfunded. Um, I think the COVID-19 pandemic has exposed those deep inequities within our system. Um, and, and so I think even though I, I, a part of me was realistic that, you know, you're not going to expect things to be that different, but I did not anticipate this return to normal plan that essentially was a mask. Like that's how I felt. I felt it was the plan was go back to what it was and I'm in a building where there's there really isn't proper ventilation and that the windows don't open in the building. These are old buildings. I have a bronchial condition. That building was always a bit of a challenge for me. And I was thinking about myself with that bronchial condition, with the mask now, so my breathing would be even more limited. And the lack of the open windows and knowing also the physical limitations of the space and knowing with the class of 27 that at the time I heard I was slated to have, knowing that there was no way to physically distance and also feeling that when I imagined what the experience was going to be, I really felt the energy drain from my body because I knew that I was not going to be able to bring a fraction of what I wanted to do for students and that the management of the space was going to become the the defining dimension of my work, like just managing bodies, managing safety. Um, So in essence, a form of babysitting without the resources is what it started to feel like the job would be. knowing there had been funding cuts to my school, like staffing cuts to my school as well. So that exacerbated the situation, knowing how difficult it was prior to the staffing cuts. And then knowing I'm actually going to have less adults um, to support this process. And on top of that, knowing that if I chose online, the kind of, um, I felt paternalism of the synchronous time and how that was being defined and the lack of creativity and innovation 
that that was being conceptualized around the online time truly made me feel such a heaviness and weight in my body that the day the next day I woke up after the plan was announced and I actually was interviewed by a journal I spoke on the record about this I was one of the only teachers to do so and you know the title was of the piece my body said no mm. And that's what happened. And so I guess when I talk about my teachers who have informed my my outlook um, and the the importance of listening to the wisdom of your body, I could just feel this unbelievable dread. And you know, fortunately, in that I was able to not go back. Not everyone is able to. I certainly have taken a pay cut to make that that choice, but it was still something I was able to do um, and focus on my doctoral studies in a more full-time capacity this year but um yeah it was it really that was my experience was i couldn't imagine i did not feel supported at all by the government in fact i felt really uh, abandoned and betrayed by the government and i also felt that students needed something there, you know, there was something different that students needed. And that if we had come together and been more innovative and really unleash the potential and the caring of, of folks, there was so much we could have done. The way we redesigned even locations of schools, how we thought about it, if we funded, so to have small pods. I mean, we really could have come up with something beautiful um, and I felt instead we were just getting like sort of the DNA of efficiency <laughs> that's so woven into our culture was coming out that works, I feel, a lot of the time uh, in opposition to true well-being and flourishing. So this leads just very uh, a nice segue into the question about the future of education then, what we could have done or what we're learning from this. What do you see happening now in, as we go forward? So I have some, con I definitely have some concerns. Um, I see opportunities and I have some real concerns. So one of the concerns I have is that it's all, public education in particular has always been under threat here because from some perspectives, it's, it's billions of dollars industry. Um, that's how it could be seen rather than an investment, right? Like a public investment, a part of the commons of the kind of society we want to create. And so my concern is that what's happening now to fill the gaps in this unprecedented time will normalize um, service providers, you know, outside of, you know, um, educators who are deeply invested right in in the system and that we're going to get other ways of doing education um some of which really are not in the best interests of of the commons so that's a concern the inequities being exacerbated um the second thing is at the same time i think there's an opportunity because i i also think we've we've been able to recognize some of the limitations at times of being in this very industrialized schooling model that hasn't really caught up with the times and how there's such an opportunity for us to develop something using the best research out there, making the proper investments where education could be much more dynamic than it has been. Um, we can be connecting more like digital technology gives us the ability to be 
connecting to people all over the world. And if we really made that effort within our education system and had those collaborative, creative conversations, I think there's a lot of imaginaries that we haven't even explored yet. Um, definitely centering the whole person and well-being because we've seen how critical that is. And I think in some ways the pandemic has also, and educating in the context of the pandemic has also brought to the forefront what really matters. And I think people have been able to maybe look at some of the things we've done in education that are structural, even some of our assessment and evaluation practices and said, really like why like why you know is it should this really be the focus you know i mean even as as you know i mean i did work with um the school that you were at and and this was one of the things we were trying to get at is much more rich feedback less evaluation more assessment in the moment more of a coaching relationship and stopping this emphasis on sorting kids you know through grades and you know, the certain notion of, of achievement um, and everything being driven towards that as opposed to, again, the unfolding of the human being that could be the focus of our system. Right. I agree. I, I've seen that a lot. And I, I follow and work with a lot of educators who are just saying the grading, the assessment, it doesn't matter when you're sitting face to face virtually with a student who is just having a tough day and they're trying to reflect back what they've learned from the unit they're on or whatever. So yeah, I think that's very valuable. Yeah, for sure. So I would love for you to share a little bit about what you're doing now, um, what you're studying, and possibly where people can find you. Um, I know I follow you on several platforms and get to kind of keep up with what you're doing. So yeah, tell us what you're doing now. Sure. Um, so I am working on a PhD in climate change education, um, specifically with a focus on youth mental health and well-being. And my, my work actually is focused on a very particular kind of climate change education, which is climate justice education, because I do feel very much that there is an urgency um, that there is that that climate change is a political issue that we shouldn't shy away from it as a political issue that it is an issue that is is um, going to continue to bring the inequities of our system to the forefront and that if we truly want to create humane and just futures um, we've got to center this we've got to center climate justice um, and how we're going to do that um, because Right now, climate change in the Canadian context has been a, a more siloed issue, like maybe they'll do a bit in science or geography. And really, we all need to become climate justice educators. <laughs> we really need to be supporting young people. The evidence continues to grow about the incredible anxiety that young people are facing about their future. And so my research is really trying to fill the gaps that are there in not understanding these issues, but also I am kind of carving, a, I think, a bit of a bold path in climate education and saying, you know, it has to be about climate justice. And we need to actually be taking a lot of our direction from the young people who are in the streets mobilizing around this issue. And that is going to also decenter and dismantle our education system in some ways and center issues that haven't been centered in the past. And I think it is calling for that transformation. So 
I'm hoping my research, you know, will contribute in a small way to that larger project of really responding to this and really looking at how we can create much more beautiful futures out of this very, very difficult moment that we're in. So that's that's really what I'm focusing on. And I do do some work with educators. I coach some educators um, around decolonizing environmental education in, in their work through the Natural Curiosity Program. I still do some work with the Critical Thinking Consortium. I work with another educational organization called I Think that is also about bringing authentic real world problem solving into education. So I'm really lucky in that I get to work with different groups who are also trying to contribute to a big shift in education. And I love working with people who have their mind, um, you know, on, on those, those kinds of ideas. I also um, am involved politically in the Green Party in different ways and obviously want to see more policies that center climate change. So those are some of the things that I'm that I'm up to. And I'm on Twitter. So my handle is at Maria Von Valise. Um, I'm on LinkedIn if people want to be in touch. And hopefully I'm going to be getting a website going in the next year or so as my research continues to, um, you know, as continues to move forward. That's so exciting. Um, well, I'm going to be following for sure. I would love to see where this leads. And how exciting would it be that when you're your doctoral work is done if education could change and move a little bit to the more creative and open that, that they could collaborate together it would just be very very exciting it would be i want to thank you so much for joining me um, i am um, so happy for the students and educators that you work with um, because i just think they're so lucky to have you just the way that you reflected on how lucky you were to have the educators in your life thank you so I just want to wish you all the best in your studies and in the coming years. And let's let's stay in touch. Absolutely. Thank you so much for this opportunity. And as well, I wish you all the best with your work and this flourishing around well-being that we all need to focus on right now. Thank you so much. Take good care.